All right, it's February 2nd. You know what that means. Happy Groundhog's Day, everyone. This much cherished and time-honored holiday where full-grown men wearing top hats pretend a rodent who stole my name determines all of our fates for the next six weeks because why not? Look at that guy. Look at how much fun that guy's having. It seems reasonable, right, that we do this. This whole animal seeing their shadow or not determining the remainder of winter uh, thing dates back hundreds of years. But Groundhog's Day, as we know, in America started in 1887, basically by a bunch of dudes <laughs> LARPing in the forest of Pennsylvania. Seriously, look it up. It was started by the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club, which was a group of adult men that liked to hunt groundhogs for fun. 1887, it's 100 years before I was born, that's when this, this nonsense that never stops following me started. Every year I can remember, at least one person asked me if I saw my shadow. Hilarious. Never gets old. Love it. My birthday, St. Patrick's Day. Love when people pinch me because I'm not wearing green. Here's a fun fact. Uh, since that very first Groundhog's Day, Punxsutawney Phil has only been right about 50% of the time. 50%. He's a disgrace to our name. <laughs> Even though 50% is kind of what you'd expect from a coin toss, which is what it is. But let's be real, 50% accuracy is terrible for a meteorologist. Unless you're a meteorologist in Colorado and then 50% is incredible. If Mike Nelson ever hit 50%, it would be a miracle. <laughs> is Mike Nelson even a meteorologist anymore? Jay, yeah? Jay loves Mike. Uh, I feel like he should, probably should have given up by now. I have a long history with Mr. Nelson. He visited my class in third grade and made a promise to me that he has yet to fulfill. And I have not forgotten and I won't forget. And that's a story for another time. But anyway, back to this famous marmot. This wrong half the time woodchuck meteorologist has no excuse. He's in Colorado. He's not in Colorado. He's in Pennsylvania. Whereas Kevin Manross knows the weather's a little more stable than it is here. Or at least that's my experience of it. So get it together, <laughs> do better, or at least have the decency to change your name. Thank you. Another fun fact, did you know that there's a competing groundhog with Punxsutawney Phil? <laughs> He's not the only groundhog that's celebrated today. I found this out today. There's another, <laughs> I never knew this. Staten Island has their own groundhog named Staten Island Chuck, which is still kind of a dumb name, but at least it's not Phil. Anyway, unlike the OG hog, Chuck has been right 80% of the time. So, you know, that's definitely something um, to consider. Anyway, enough about that. Happy Groundhog's Day. Uh, tonight, we're continuing to move through 1 John. And uh, if it starts to sound like I'm repeating myself, it's because I am. Uh, the author of this book, it's because the author of this book does. They have this sort of meandering but cyclical structure to their writing where um, they hit on a number of topics that they keep cycling back through, often going deeper and deeper into the topic with each pass, which is actually a very Hebrew way of writing. But the author's structure <laughs> feels more like they're just kind of talking out loud. It feels a bit looser than other texts that do this in intentionally. Anyway, all this to say, like last week, this week we're talking about love specifically where it comes from, what it looks like, and what we're supposed to do with it. Um, this week, this led me to a realization about love that feels really obvious now, but I never considered it before. 
We'll get to that in a little bit, but first, um, in case you missed it at the beginning, the question for tonight is, in what situations or areas do you find excuses to not love others? To begin tonight, we're gonna be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses seven through 12, which reads, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my opinion, these are some of the most beautiful thoughts in scripture, especially if you take the time to soak in them. This passage of 1 John contains some of the loftiest ideas about God and love and humanity. We could spend an entire series here, I'm confident. This passage lays out the relationship between God's love and human's love, showing us that human love flows from God. The author essentially says this, God is love. All love comes from God. God is the source of love. Therefore, all those, uh, those who love know God and those who don't can't know God. This love that God is the source of isn't something that we came up with. It, it wasn't our idea. We didn't make the first move. Instead, it's what God showed to us most fully through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God's love to us is self-sacrificing love that gives us life. It's a voluntary, unconditional, selfless, other-oriented empowerment that costs something so that another may flourish. This is what we're talking about. This is the love that flows from God to us. The author of 1 John continues saying, we should allow this love to flow through us to others. In fact, when we do, something incredible happens. No one has ever seen God. That is to say like, no one has ever experienced God the same way they've experienced another person. But one of the primary ways that we tangibly experience this God we've never seen is when we allow love to reach its intended goal, when we allow it to flow through us to others. We experience God in profound and unique ways when we love one another. There is so much to talk about here. Um, but for our time tonight, I wanna to hone in on what the author says in verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This to me connects to something that he says later on in verse 19. We love because God first loved us. This is love, not that we loved, but God loved us. We love because God first loved us. I've always thought these words were beautiful. Uh, but they struck me in a new way this week. We don't define love, God does. In fact, we don't even know what love is apart from God showing us by loving us first. We have to be shown love first. I don't know why that, that struck me as strange, but this actually fits with what we've learned about humans capacity to love. Love itself and the human capacity to experience love has captured and confounded the minds of artists and poets, philosophers, anthropologists, psychologists, and neuroscientists. 
Why do we love? What is it about humans that allow them to receive and give this thing called love in profound ways that other creatures like groundhogs don't seem to be able to? How are we able to love? This passage that we, we read tonight suggests we have to be shown love first, but it's easy to think that, that love is something that's a natural part of being human, as though it's hardwired into us. Um, like other emotions that are instinctual to some degree, um, like anger, for instance. You don't have to teach someone to be angry, right? But I learned this week that love doesn't work this way. Our brains are certainly wired for love, uh, but in a similar way to how we're wired for language. That is to say, our biology supports language, but we still have to learn it. You don't come out of the womb being able to speak or understand language. And if you were kept from hearing any language, you would never learn to speak at all. We only learn language from experiencing it from others and practicing it ourselves. The same is true with love. This passage is right. Humans have to learn love. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was interesting. It seems obvious to me now, but, but I've never really thought about it this way. And this idea has profound implications. Like I said, we tend to think the ability uh, to, to love is a given. Like it's something that we're naturally good at or something that magically just happens to us at some point in our life. But that's just not the truth. Leo Buskaya, a, a professor who dedicated his life to researching and writing extensively about love, so much so that he was called Dr. Love and not in a weird way like that's what he did. He wrote and researched about love. He was Dr. Love. He wrote this. Most of us continue to behave as though um, love is not learned, but lies dormant in each human being and simply awaits some mystical age of awareness to emerge in full bloom. Many wait for this age forever. We seem to refuse to face the obvious fact that most of us spend our lives trying to find love, trying to live in it, and dying without ever truly discovering it. That's a terrifying and heartbreaking thought. Don't keep wasting your life waiting. Love is a skill we acquire. It's something we develop. It's something we grow into. That means like anything else we learn, to really learn to love, to really integrate loving others into our beings, we need to be taught and we have to practice. This to me is what makes a worshiping community like ours so important. A community that helps us learn to love by constantly pointing back to the source of love, to love itself, to God. This is what the author is doing here when he says, this is love, not that we love, but that God loved us by fully giving himself to us so that we can live. The author is saying, this is what love is, a voluntary, unconditional, selfless, other-oriented empowerment that often costs us something so that another may flourish, like what we saw captured in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And we only know about and are able to love like this because God loved us first. So with our eyes fixed on Christ as the model of what love is, a worshiping community can show us what this love looks like by allowing God's love to flow through them to us. We begin to recognize and receive love as we experience it through others. And the community provides us a safe place to practice letting God's love flow through us back to them. As the author says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
When we love one another, God's love is able to reach its intended goal. If that love is going to reach the goal, if it's going to be made complete, if that love from God is going to flow through us to the people around us, we have to learn to love. We have to practice loving others. Like we talked about last week, we have to practice putting our love into action. Love is the posture of those who are walking in the light, those who are following Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we still don't have to learn how to love. And when it comes to loving like God, we always have more to learn. So what situations do you find excuses to not love? Uh, Let's see what you wrote because this is the area where you might need um, to practice the most. Let's see some of these. Dang y'all, thank you. It's a lot of good, a lot of answers. <laughs> Arnie has trouble loving people when they make blanket statements, which I can understand. Uh, Kev, I, as, as I wrote in the chat, I really resonated with what you said about um, struggling when, when the ask has no ending or, or struggling to know when, wh- what's the bottom of this? How much is this gonna take from me? I also give myself an out when that's the case. Um, Bobby said that he struggles when he feels like someone is a victim of their own circumstances. Like it's their, it's their fault, the situation that they're in. I also have a hard time with that at times. Um, Matt, (laughs) Matt Paulson of situations, frustrations with coworkers that are not competent enough for my liking. Uh, Nate talked about, uh, struggling, um, helping any of the homeless neighbors because it's easier to just forget to buy something at the store. Sarah, Sarah said, um, I make excuses to not love people if they hurt me or someone I care about. That resonates a lot with my own, Sarah. I, I really struggle. Um, I really struggle loving others when I feel like they're being inconsiderate of me or someone I love, which isn't really fair because half the time I'm imagining that in consideration, but um, when someone's hurt me, like what you're saying, Sarah, that's an even different, that's a different story. When we see people treat others poorly, Nikki says that's hard for her. Uh, Anna Reinhardt, I make excuses to not love others and let them in when they break my trust. Yeah, that's an interesting one. How do we learn to, to still show love to people and not trust them completely? Can we love someone and not trust them at the same time? That's an interesting question. And I'd love to hear what you think about that. Sherry said that it's hard for her to love um, when she's been hurt and often forgets that maybe the other person is hurting as well. Um, When I fail to see them as God sees them. That's also convicting for me. Um, this area that you struggle with is an invitation to lean into. It's an invitation to learn how to love better. It's an invitation to practice, um, practice loving. Like I said, one of my biggest struggles is when people are inconsiderate, either perceived or real. Um, 
I think that that lets me off the hook. Like if these people don't have the capacity to be considerate for me, then like, well, then I'm not gonna be considerate of them, even Stephen. And I don't exactly know how to engage that more. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, I don't really wanna go put myself in situations where I feel like people are being inconsiderate of me, but I'm gonna continue thinking through that. How can I learn how to love people who I feel are being inconsiderate of me? How can I practice that? How can you practice loving others this week? What's a small step that you could take to practice loving others? Best case scenario is how can you practice loving others in the situations that you usually let yourself off the hook from? I know this is hard in general and certainly hard when we, when we talk about our um, growth areas, but uh, it makes it even harder when we have to avoid physically being around each other. But at this point, you surely know how to navigate that. At the very least, can you take uh, the step to reach out to someone this week to encourage them? If you can't think of anything else, reach out to someone to encourage them, your roommates, your family, a coworker, maybe a coworker whose competency isn't up to your liking. Um, one of your friends, I guarantee anyone you know, especially right now, will walk a little lighter and will feel a little more complete with, with some encouragement from you this week. We all have more to learn when it comes to loving others. We all need more practice. How can you take the next step to learn more and to practice love this week? Let's pray. God, I, I feel strangely hopeful realizing that my inability to love isn't some defect necessarily. I mean, maybe it is, but the, the chance that my inability to love is, is something that I can learn, something that I can practice to grow in is really challenging and really exciting to me. God, thank you that you continue to love us when we're growing and when we're not growing. You continue to hold out a model of what perfect, unconditional, grace-filled love looks like that is constantly flowing from you to us and you invite us to let it flow through us to others, to let that love reach its intended goal God, I pray that you would help each of us be, be curious to push into ways that we can practice being shaped to being more loving, being shaped more and more into the image of Christ, being shaped more and more into the image of love. We love you, God, because you first loved us. Amen.